Hi everyone, welcome to the Badass Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Fox. Before we get into today's guests, I just want to let you all know that I will be taking a couple of breaks over the summer. Most weeks will still have an episode, but there will be one or two weeks where I'm going to give myself and all of you a bit of a breather. Hopefully you can use the time to catch up on any episodes that you've missed. I've got an amazing lineup of guests coming up this summer and into the fall, and I can't wait to share my interviews with them with all of you. If you're an author or an industry professional who'd like to come on the show to chat about writing, books, and publishing, please reach out on my website at www.kathleenfox.com, and that's with two X's, or send me a DM on Twitter at underscore badass writers. Keep in mind that I'm booking several months out, so you'll want to book as far back as you can, especially if you have a book or a book tour coming out or some other exciting writing-related news to share. So today's episode features two self-published authors. One is a novelist and one is a poet. We'll talk about the self-publishing process, advice for writing poetry, using poetry to share a mental health journey, book cover design, and much more. And I'm going to get into those interviews right now. Today's guest is Jack Lelko. He's been drawing and coming up with story ideas since he was single digits. He has a penchant for writing complicated plots and putting twists on fairy tales. His friend Butler would like to add, he has a sixth sense, a sight for the story, if you will. He pulls in inspiration from nearly every crevice of his world and spins it into another for the pleasure of his readers. Jack lives in the Pacific Northwest with his cat, Natasha Jane, no dog Nick. Thanks so much for coming on and chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. This is really cool. Yeah. Um, So first of all, let's talk a little bit about what you're working on now. So your first novel entitled Christmas Bitch is being self-published. So where are you at with that process and how's that going? So right now uh, I am typesetting the paperback version of, of the book. So just making sure that there aren't any widows or orphans running through it, playing around with some of the fonts. And once I can get that done, I should be able to at least send that off to Ingram Spark. And I should have a proof copy, hopefully soon, so that I can kind of go through and make sure that nothing got messed up while I was typesetting everything. I've noticed a couple of times that some things had uh, deleted themselves. And once I'm done with that, I will work on the hardback version that I've learned that you can add art to the actual hardback as opposed to just the jacket. So I've been playing around with some ideas for that. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, and how did you, cause I know there's different options out there for self-publishing. How did you arrive on Ingram spark? I found that they had a wider reach and I think they, they had mentioned they can get the book into libraries, for example, but I also like the fact that it allowed smaller independent bookstores access to it because I'm able to set the uh, wholesale rate for for those stores. So I've I've heard that it's just easier for indie bookstores to get access to the book if they decide that they would like to sell it. All right. And how has the whole process been going? Have you run into any challenges that you can maybe steer other writers away from? So I think the main thing that I would kind of offer in terms of challenge comes from more from the emotional side, at least at first, 
especially when it comes to editing. So I had an editor that I first hired out for developmental edits. And one of the first things that had kind of come through was they had told me reading through Christmas Bitch, since Christmas Bitch is told through a series of flashbacks. They're done sequentially, but it does require the reader to kind of go back and forth from past to present. And one of the notes that kept coming up throughout the editing process while working with them was don't, don't do this. It should be written sequentially. And they had cited a very specific book on editing that echoed this. And I remember actually having this book before starting to work with this editor. And I think I had been in the middle of writing Christmas Bitch at that point and reading that and going, oh no, like nail biting, because in my mind, I was panicked that I had done something wrong, that I was telling the story wrong. And really sitting down and thinking about it, I really deeply felt that this book really does need, is meant to be told through a series of flashbacks. So I think the challenging part is, especially when you're working with an editor and maybe someone who you're meeting for the first time, there is going to be some time where you do need to slow down and really process your feelings about what you are trying to create. And it was actually really helpful to have my friend, Amy, who is also a fellow writer. She came back and reminded me, she's like, you know, you, you write the story that you, that you are meant to write. And especially with self-publishing, it makes that so much easier because you're really not answering to anyone but yourself. So that, that really helped when it came time to get edits from either Amy, who ended up becoming my editor for the majority of this process. Even when she would give me something, I felt a little bit more comfortable uh, to kind of say, no, this, this works out a little bit better. This is really where I'm intending to go. But ultimately, the advice that I would have for individuals with regards to those challenges is to not run away from them, to really sit down and, and think about I guess, playing devil's advocate and seeing, well, what if I did make that change? Would this open up something or would this kind of shut something down that I really don't want? So I would say the most challenging part kind of comes from within. Yeah. You definitely want to trust your instincts when you're writing, right? Yes. Um, and, and take feedback. I mean, if you're getting feedback, like, and it's kind of a pattern, then maybe it's something that's worth listening to. But you know, when it's coming from one, one source, I mean, and everybody, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Right. Um, and I think as, as long as you're doing it intentionally and there's a reason for why you're doing it the way you're doing it, then I think that's good. And I think with self-publishing, you do have a lot more freedom with that too. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of a premise and, and tell us what you hope your readers will come away with? Absolutely. So the premise for Christmas Bitch focuses on uh, our main character, Ophelia O'Leary. And throughout the book, you learn that she has done some really chaotic, sometimes terrible things to people over the years. Um, she's ruined Christmases for her sister, her ex-boyfriend, her sister's best friend, and her sister's now boyfriend. One of the one of the things that kind of comes up and actually one of the ideas that was given to me by my brother that spurred a lot of the story was at one point he had said you could give her a taser and that kind of snowballed into we could make it bedazzled and then it just kind of created this weird kind of chaos so she goes through and she does all of these terrible things secrets are told identities are questioned are thrown into question and 
on from the perspective of these individuals who are recounting this trauma, you see that she is painted in a very negative light, but the reader gets to see it from her perspective as well. And you realize that she's doing all of these things to really get to these happy endings or to bring this certain level of security and authenticity that these characters wouldn't have been able to have achieved on their own necessarily. So what I think I would love potential readers to take away from this book would be, it is okay to question where you are in life. It's okay to kind of be in chaos for a while. It's okay to work through that. And sometimes you do need to step into that chaos or that unknown or that void in order to get to the place that you really want to to get to. As much as I think we would all love to go to sleep one day and just wake up and everything is just magically in order. Uh, I've also found from teaching mathematics uh, with my students, I've, I've had to tell them sometimes the process of solving the problem, it has to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get messy before we can actually begin to kind of streamline it and get to that, that solution or that good part. Yeah. Awesome. And when can we expect to see it on shelves? I'm hoping to have this out no later than July of this year. So probably by the end of the month, I'll give myself a little bit of a cushion. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's when, that's when I'm hoping that I can, for at least me personally, hold a physical copy and say, I made the thing. Nice. Oh, that's gotta be so exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So where did the inspiration come from for this novel? So the inspiration for Christmas Bitch came from a challenge that my brother had posed to me back in 2012, I think. I came across a news article in the Chicago Tribune, and it had mentioned that Christmas films were declining in terms of box office money. So the amount of money that It's a Wonderful Life was pulling in was way more, I guess, when you factored in cost adjustment than even Elf, which is a cult classic amongst the holiday time. But I remember talking to my brother about it. He was like, well, you should write a Christmas story. And I was like, I couldn't. I was like, what would you write about? I I have no idea. And then he was like, I don't know. You could, it's like, you could have a bunch of people get together and talk about this person that like just ruined their Christmases, how awful they were. And it made me think of the film Drowning Mona, which had, Bette Midler, I think, is the star. And it was about this terrible woman who she ended up dying under mysterious circumstances. And it was told in a series of flashbacks, kind of reflecting on like, did she deserve it? And all this other stuff. And I was, again, talking to Kevin about it. And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, this doesn't, he was like, I don't know. He was like, you could use a bedazzled taser in it. And I was like, okay, maybe. And I, spent the rest of like the next day or the the next week. And I'm like, this is stupid. I I can't think of anything like what, how, how would this work? Like, how would I make a full book out of it? And one by one, these other characters came into, into mind. And then I was like, well, this terrible thing could happen. And this could be connected to kind of a Grinch flavor. Or This one can have more of a, it's a wonderful life flavor to it. And by the end, I kind of came back to, and I was like, okay, I have an idea. And I remember getting very excited, like sitting down in front of my computer. And I wrote the first chapter, I would say, in like maybe the first hour, kind of very giddy to myself because it was like, oh, it's so exciting and it's so cool. And, you know, he, so he's, he's the one to blame. He's the reason why, he's the reason why this book exists. Nice. 
the one to thank. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. how long did it take you to, to complete the, I guess the first draft? I think it took me quite a while, mostly because I wasn't super committed to it or, uh, I had other things that were going on. So I went back to grad school and then started working and then I moved halfway across the country. So Christmas pitch ended up being kind of therapeutic to me. I remember being in a job, for example, that I was absolutely miserable in. And I had at that point bought a notebook. So I tend to write my stories by hand first and then I type. And I remember huddling by my quote unquote illegal heater because we weren't allowed to have a heater in our cubicles because we would blow the the power, but huddling up near it and just like writing. And that really during the lunch hour was so comforting to kind of have something that was entirely mine and that it offered such an escape. So it's definitely more than just a story for the sake of entertainment. This was something that kind of kept me grounded and kind of kept me feeling like myself in times when I would maybe feel pretty lost or I was like, I feel like I am just existing, but I, I don't feel like myself. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an intriguing premise. So I look forward to seeing it. Thanks so much. Yeah. Wow. So he's, he's probably pretty proud too, that, that you've completed it and that you're about to publish it. Yeah, I think he is. And, uh, I, was kind of able to return the favor or we'll see. Cause uh, when he was actually visiting earlier this year, I was talking to him about writing or something. And he was like, I don't know. He's like, I was thinking I'd like to write something. And I was like, well, what, what is it that you would like to kind of focus on? He was like, I don't know. He was like, I like cooking. And he was like, I like, I think he's mentioned like murder mysteries. I was like, well, why don't you do a, a blog about a murder, but then integrate recipes in it. And he was like, well, may, maybe. So I, as a gift, I gave him, because I have too many blank journals, it's like, <laughs> it's a weird addiction. So I gave him one and I was like, here's just take this to start recording stuff. And was like, no pressure in terms of actually creating anything right away, but it's just kind of nice to have a place to house your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll see what, what he's able to, to come out with. I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he's able to kind of create on his own. Yeah. That's exciting. He could go anywhere with that. Yes. Yeah. I I'm, I'm excited to see what, what he's able to, to come up with on, yeah. on that just because it's, I would love to see something, something different. Yeah. And I think that what he ended up kind of taking away from that conversation, I think it's going to be something very different from nice. what has, has been out there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And when you're writing, do you outline or do you kind of just, you have a general idea and just sit down and start writing? It lives in my head. So I think as an introvert and as an overthinker, it just kind of follows you and chatters with you the entire time. So I guess in a way I outline, but in my head, I don't usually jot that down. I think I like the idea that I let it evolve and kind of do its thing and I can, you know, cut things out or I'm like, if it's really important, I'm going to remember it. We'll see how, how long that, that mentality or that mantra kind of holds true. Uh, But I tend to be a pantser. I tend to write uh Christmas pitch for example at least the rough draft that was written sequentially from start to finish I guess I get nervous about writing separate scenes because then I think it adds the pressure of like how am I going to connect it so it made me feel a lot better just to start where I think the story is going to go and go all the way in order and that's how my first attempt at a novel that has not been self-published nor should it be at this point because it was written when I was 22 (laughs) um and it 
reads like it was written by a 22 year old. That one also ended up being written from opening scene to final scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does get confusing. I The first one that I had ever written was the same kind of a thing where I got through, mm, I'm going to say maybe about 70% where it was like that. And I just, I sat down and I knew generally where I wanted it to go and I pantsed my way through it. But then I still didn't know how it was going to end until I got to about 70%. So as soon as I thought of it, I wrote the ending and then I came back and then I'm like, oh God, how am I going to connect this now? <laughs> so it does get challenging. <laughs> were you able to, just out of curiosity, were you able to get to the, the ending? Yes. And I awesome. love those moments where you were something just, it just clicks and then you're yes. like, yep. Okay. The rest is easy. Right. That yeah. literal like light bulb kind of yes. feeling. Yeah. So what is your favorite element to write? Do you like voice, dialogue, tension, that kind of thing? Witty banter? I love plots. I love the idea of creating something that's very intricate. Again, I'm going to just, I'm just going to mention Amy all the time. So <laughs> I'm okay. going to take a moment here and just let everyone know she does have a book coming out in the future called All Falling Things. Please go get it. Um, <laughs> but she has been kind of one of my one of my initial number one fans. I loved writing these stories. One, because I liked doing the shocking thing kind of for myself because it was like the oh, I could I could do this. And when you first discover that idea, it's it's exciting because then you're like, I wonder if any, if anyone else is going to feel the same way that I did when I thought of this idea. As an example, I had done a short story that should be up on my website called Bittersweet. And it focused on the devil from the Grimm fairy tales and Hansel and Gretel. And I made the short story and I sent it off to Amy to read. And her first response that came back over text message was, damn you, because she enjoyed the twist so much. And that kind of spurred this idea for how to construct Christmas bitch. Or maybe this has always been the way that I've been thinking because I over, I overthink. So therefore I complicate things. But I love making these little things of like Easter eggs in chapter one and then popping them up later on in other chapters to kind of see if people are paying attention or just because that that is kind of what we experience in, in real life. We, we don't necessarily just interact with something once and then we never see it again. Sometimes it does cycle back. So I love playing around with plot. I guess that feeds itself into the other part of the question that I prefer writing plot driven but I do enjoy playing around with characters. So with Christmas Bitch, it's been, let's make some really weird characters. So you have one individual who I gave him the name Woody Hinkelheimerainer, which was a fun way of learning how to spell that one. <laughs> but when I introduce him, he's this massive hulk of a man. And you hear everywhere he's walking around, he's jingling. And you have Ophelia kind of leaning over the counter at the store that she's at. And she notices, I can hear the jingling because he's wearing knee-high socks with little jingle bells on them. And he's wearing a kilt. And this man is just obsessed with stories. And he wants to know the history behind everything. And then you have, um, I fell in love with this little character that I made up named Mrs. Fulgencia Wick. And she is, she's a retired taxidermist. And she has since gotten into octogenarian erotica. So you have all of these weird, like kind of funny uh, book titles that kind of pop up throughout the book because someone is is usually reading something that she's recently published. Mm -hmm. Nice. So quirky, quirky characters kind of interspersed. Yeah. Nice. 
And what would you say is your least favorite part of the whole writing process? And how have you navigated through that? I think it, it'll, it'll always come back to editing because I think that that part is just, it's the longest part. And it's, it feels so important to, to get it right, not just grammatically, but you're going through. And if you do have a complicated plot, if you change this one thing, then all of a sudden you're like, I have to go through the entire book again and make sure that that thread is consistent now. So there's that. And I think, again, when it comes time to go through the comments that an editor has supplied for you, it's kind of managing that fight or flight of, am I going to stand my ground on this and say, no, it's good as it is. I'm not going to change it. Or can I maybe have a momentary tantrum of, I don't want to change it, but I understand that I have to change it. It's got to, it will be better in the long run. I appreciate it. So in that process, it's really important to have, uh, I, I had a really lovely kind of found family team of writers. So I had Amy who was coming through and she was my editor and I was able to, and comfortable enough to go to her kind of going, Hey, I've got a, a question about this comment. What is it that you're, that you were thinking I was thinking of doing this. And then I also have, uh, my friend Butler, who you had mentioned in, in the intro, she's been with me since we were six and four, respectively. So she's seen all of my creative endeavors, like to the point when we were kids on a train and I was writing a, an intro to my own version of Rapunzel in like a little spiral bound notebook. So she's been reading everything and she she's just kind of one of those people where she's like, I have blind faith in you on this. Like, I know that you can do this. And then I have another friend, uh, Mariah, who was kind of like my hype woman throughout this. I was editing every chapter and I was usually getting an email or a text back from her saying more, please give me more. I need to know what's happening or I love this detail. So I think you need that balance of someone coming in and, and being critical of your work. But then you also need other people who are coming in saying, you, you can do this. You're really good at this. Just keep going. It's going to get better. So I think it, it really does help to, to have that balance when you go through that, that really hard part of you, you're done. You think it's beautiful, but then when it comes back and suddenly you're like, oh, there are more than, there are more than 10, than 10 corrections on this entire thing. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is important. You have to know where your strengths are too. It's equally as important as knowing what you need to improve on, right? Yes. And I think um, you definitely need to have that. And it's good that you have that group of people that can that can give you that balance because that's super yes. important. And I think with taking feedback too, it's hard when you get that feedback and it's like, it's soul crushing and you're like, no, I don't want to change this. But if you give yourself a little space, a little bit yes. of time, and then you can kind of come back to it and analyze what they said and analyze what you wrote and how you wrote it, and then it comes back to that intentionality and, and knowing if that's something that you really, really, really want in there and it's intentional, then you can kind of say, no, this is the reason why I did it. And this is why I'm saying, no, I'm not going to change that. Yeah, definitely from, from having those instances of dealing with like comments, sometimes with editors, I ended up creating an entirely new closing to the book at the very end. So I didn't intend to just kind of leave it where I had had left it. And Amy had come back and she's like, I think we need a little bit more here. And 
was like, oh, I don't want to. And <laughs> then I, I sat down one day and I was like, well, basically as a way of, you know, sometimes I felt I felt like it was maybe a little bit petty, but, you know, it wasn't actually intended to be petty. Kind of going back to the editor that I had who had said, like, you can't tell things in flashback. Like, you cannot do that. I guess as a nod to that, the ending of the book is actually one massive flashback that's supposed to actually happen before all the events, but it actually ties everything up really, really well, in, in my mind, at least. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, you know, when you're a little kid and your, your mom or your dad was like, just try it. Just, just tell me if you like it. And, you know, it's the initial part where like you try it, but then you were like, I don't like it, but you really do. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> you end up giving into it and kind of enjoying it. So there were a lot of instances of that where there was the, that initial temper tantrum of you don't want to do it. It's fine as it is. And then Mm -hmm. you start to think about it and you're like, okay, it is better because it ties things up or it shows more. And I like it. So. Yeah. And like I said before, there is no right or wrong way to do it. As long as you understand what the quote unquote rules are before you break said rules, then that's what's important there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so you also designed the cover for your book as well. And you have a website where you showcase your art. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I have been drawing since I can remember since I was like around age six. So I think this is where this whole creative world kind of opened up for me. I remember seeing the little mermaid at, as, as a little kid and kind of saying, I want to draw that. And I remember even at age six, I drew a picture once and I was like, oh, I overdid it. Like I looked at it and I was like, I put too much detail into it. And I should have just left it with lines and stuff. Of course, I wasn't using like fra- like phrases like line work and, and all this. But um, I ended up also using art as a way to see what my characters looked like. So I would kind of do character design and model. Like I think, for example, on the website, I have quite a few pictures of Ophelia on there. And one of her predominant features is she has like bangs. And that kind of came from watching the show, uh, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. So the main character who was this really kind of gruff and antagonistic individual, she had that kind of same hairstyle. So I I modeled it after, I think the actress's name is Kristen Ritter. but when it came time to do the book cover, I remember doing some research and one website, I don't remember where, but they had said, do not design your own cover. You should hire that out, you know, go to Fiverr, go to Up, Upwork, I think. Or, and I sat there kind of reading through that and I was like, well, I feel a little offended. <laughs> like I want, I want to, to make my own cover because this is my book. I'm choosing to self-publish it. I really want as much of me in this as possible. So I ended up playing around with a couple of different covers and really bombarded friends and family with like, here's the progress photos and which one would you pick? And uh, I ended up, a lot of them said, we like the second one. So yeah, both of those are, are up on the website now. And the final one has a link to a video. So People could actually watch the entire process the way that the app that I had used, which was Procreate, uh, it records every single pen stroke that you do. So you can see this thing kind of come to life. You get to see all like the rough edges and all the different layers and what didn't make it. That's so and, cool. Yeah, I, I really do enjoy it. It's, it kind of 
offers a little bit more motivation because you can actually go back and watch it. And you're like, I remember what I was doing. And like, here's this big mess that I had and how it all kind of, again, how it gets worse. And then it gets so much better at the end when you clean everything up. Mm -hmm. But I, I do also have this artwork available on my society six store. Mostly I would say it's been my family who's been supporting me when they go and buy stuff there, but it's, it's nice when you go home and you see like your mom has purchased decorative pillows that have your art on it. Mm -hmm. So like, thanks for the, thanks, thanks for continuing to support me. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So for our listeners, I send out a guest author form so that I can get to know my guests a little bit better. And um, it just helps me keep everything organized on my end as well. So in that guest form, you mentioned that you write a lot about TV shows that have ended. What are some of the shows that inspired you to write? And do you basically kind of pick up where they left off or do you do a complete spinoff or just use the characters or how does that work? I kind of go into the shows that have ended. So for example, most of the stories that I have right now, they've been inspired by things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Christmas Bitch in particular is inspired by Pushing Daisies. And then I would love to do a fairy tale I don't know, maybe short story collection or a full-blown novel. And that would would be pulling from inspiration from Once Upon a Time. So what I tend to do is I just look for the things that I want to, that made me feel good about the show. So with Pushing Daisies, it was mostly like, it felt like you were stepping into a storybook the way that that show had been designed by Brian Fuller. I'm assuming he was the one who created it. It was slightly quirky. You had odd characters in there. Um, You had like Emerson Codd, who was a private investigator who knitted for fun. Then you had Ned who baked pies, but you also had these like very real like human elements to these individuals. So unrequited love and senses of abandonment and dealing with the idea of life and death. And I really loved that weird, how it almost kind of clashed and how it was told almost as if you were stepping into a child storybook. And with regards to the first novel that I had ever tried to write, it was really pulling from inspiration from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I think it maybe started off as like fan fiction in my head. So creating a character and just imagining these scenarios with those characters um, from Buffy. But then it ended up becoming this, this idea of, well, I don't want to restrict myself to that world. And I would really love to be able to share this and publish it. So I maybe should make my own world with my own rules. And that felt a little bit more freeing to kind of say, I get to make up this entire world, this entire mythology. So I like to take inspiration from those shows and then try to make it my own. Yeah, that's exciting. It's always a shame when a show you like ends, but it's, you know, if you, if you have that creativity to kind of take it in your own direction, that, that can be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, it's, it's been really, I guess in a way it's cathartic in a way, because you're like, I don't have the thing that I used to be able to go to every, I don't know, like Tuesday night at seven o'clock and watch. Right. So now it's like, this is just mine. And then I can, I can make this and, and share it with, with other people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then lastly, what do you have planned next after Christmas Bitch is out in the world? So what I'm hoping to do is have a little bit of a rest. And after that, I would love to either begin working on the sequel for it. 
my, again, Amy has, has mentioned, I'm supposed to be writing 27 and counting sequels. So I'm way behind on that. <laughs> um, or, uh, I would like to work on the fairy tale one that, um, I've been kind of chewing, chewing on. There's just, there's a lot of characters in my head right now, and all of them are talking at once and I'm not sure how to order them. So, uh, I'm not sure where, where I'll go with it, but in the meantime, I would also like to do a little bit more marketing with Christmas bitch. So for example, there's uh, where I live, there's a lot of the like little lending library, uh, like they almost look like birdhouses yeah, uh, in front those. of people's houses. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking of kind of like maybe spamming some of them or um, there's a local bookstore uh, here where I live, where they said that they, I think they do readings now. I think since COVID has kind of, the restrictions have, have lifted a little bit. Yeah. So maybe do something like that as well, just to, I don't know, have a, have a little bit of an adventure and create that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool that you're going to be putting it in the little lending libraries. I love those. <laughs> I think that'll be, that'll be kind of fun. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for joining me. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and uh, find out a little bit more about your book and your process. And uh, good you. luck with publishing Christmas Bitch. I hope everything goes smoothly as you want it to. And we'll look forward to seeing that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Kathleen. I really appreciate it. Today's guest is Bailey G. She's an author, poet, and mental health advocate. She devotes her time to making sure those with mental health issues feel less alone and more understood. Bailey has published two books of poetry based on her own experience living with mental health issues and is currently working on her third. So first of all, thank you so much, Bailey, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, So can you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about how you became involved in writing? Uh, Yeah, sure. So I've actually been writing since I was a little girl. I actually started off writing short stories. I didn't get involved in writing poetry until I was probably in high school. I always hated poetry, actually. And then it was a high school teacher of mine who told me, you know, poetry doesn't necessarily have to rhyme. So from then on, that kind of changed my perception of poetry. And I've liked poetry ever since. I find that I don't know if it's just something that I've seen, but um, just based, you know, on the same thing when I was a child, any poetry that I was exposed to always rhymed. So when I was growing up, I thought it always has to rhyme. So I'm I'm wondering if that's kind of a common thing that children see and maybe what they're thinking when they're little. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, I've noticed the same thing. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I've seen more and more um, poets um, who don't use the rhyming scheme. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to see. Yeah. And there's all different kinds of, you know, like for me, because I, I don't typically write poetry. So it's always interesting to see the different um, structures and different ways that people write poetry. Totally not rhyming either. <laughs> right. It's, uh, there's a lot, uh, a lot of ways to write poetry. I don't really follow any kind of format or anything. I just, I don't rhyme in my poetry and I don't follow any kind of um, pattern or format. I just let it yeah. spill out. <laughs> yeah. So how do you know when to cut to another line? Because that is, that's where I have trouble seeing, like, because there's really no right or wrong way to write poetry. How do you know 
where you want to end things. Right. Well, like you said, there's no right or wrong way to write poetry. I don't know. I just, it's something that, that I've always just had in me. Um, you know, poetry just comes so easily to me. Like I can write a poem in less than two minutes. You know, it just comes on the page less than two minutes. I don't even have to think. And so I think whatever makes sense to you, you know, it's mm-hmm. you just no, go with the flow. No there, yeah, there's no wrong answer. Yeah, right. Um, and so you've written and published two books and are currently writing your third one. Can you give us a little bit of an idea about them? Yeah, so actually, um, I did um, actually just publish the third one and I'm working on the audiobook for it. Um, awesome. Yeah. Um, my first book was called The Many Personalities of Me. Um, and that book kind of captured, I would say, more of the the lower points and the the realities of, of what it's like to live with depression every day. And my second book, Linear, is a mix kind of of the lower points and then you know, the higher points of when you're in recovery. Mm -hmm. So it captures, you know, when you're not maybe doing so well, but then when you're going through recovery and you're learning to love yourself and you're learning all these different coping skills and everything. Um, So that book talks a lot about being in recovery. And then The Joys of Being Alive, which is probably my favorite book um, that I've written, it really captures being really like in love with yourself loving who you are embracing yourself fully and loving yourself Mm -hmm. and so the poetry in that book is very positive and so that's what I like about that book and it was very reflective of my personality at the time you know just getting out of recovery uh, and feeling so much better about myself. Wow so it sounds like almost like the three books as a whole kind of take you through that process. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And yeah. that's exactly what I wanted to um, to do with the books. Beautiful. And how has the publishing process gone for you so far? <laughs> so I, I self-published. Mm-hmm. I did query for a bit, but you know, the querying process is, is quite uh, complicated. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I decided to self-publish. So overall, I found it pretty um, easy. You know, you have control over everything. The only thing I had trouble with was the formatting. And something I'll tell you, which you might find interesting, is I don't have a computer. So I wrote all three books on my cell phone. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> which is which is why the formatting of the books is so wonky okay (laughs) some people have noticed that the formatting you know the some of the words start in the middle of the page or whatever and Mm -hmm. it's because I wrote the book on my cell phone and it's a lot different it's a lot harder yeah oh I can imagine oh my goodness and in your guest author form you mentioned sharing your mental health journey and you've talked about a, a little bit here um and how that fits into your writing so something that I've seen quite a bit many people and myself included when I was in my teens I kind of dabbled in poetry and that's that's kind of what I turned to to express emotions and use it as a way to work through challenges 
Um, and I think it seems to be a common theme that I see in people who write poetry. So can you take us through how that process works for you? When, when do you get your ideas? And do you kind of, it sounds like you kind of reflect back on what happens or do you use it as a way while you're going through things? Right, well, I think people turn to poetry, well, at least for me, when they have trouble communicating verbally what they're feeling inside, or you know, maybe they're afraid of what people would think, or maybe they, people won't understand. That's at least why I turn to poetry. So for me, I tend to reflect on the past in my poetry, and a little, well, a little bit of the future, but mostly I reflect on the past um, and how far I've come and my hurdles and all of that. Yeah. So it, I mean, for me, any time that I have dabbled in it, and like I said, it's been a long, long time, but it was more about, you know, getting those feelings out, feeling like I couldn't talk to anybody about something. And the pen and page has always been there for me. It's always been something that I go to, to work out things that I'm going through. And yeah, it, it can definitely be a reflection of things that you've gone through and hurdles that you've overcome. And I think that using beautiful language can really help express those, those feelings and emotions. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like I said, you know, it doesn't even, it's your poetry, you know, it doesn't have to rhyme, doesn't have to follow a format. It's your feelings, your words. Nobody yeah. even has to read it. Right. You know, it's just, it's just for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So the three books that you've written and published, where mm -hmm. can readers find those? Okay, so you can find them on Amazon. So the first book, The Many Personalities of Me. Second book, Linear. And the third book, The Joys of Being Alive. They're all on Amazon and they are also on Audible as audiobooks. And you can find them also on Barnes and Noble, their website. Perfect. So recently I featured a couple of poets on the podcast. So one of which was Shelby Lee, and she runs kind of like a poetry community and she does workshops. The other one was Joseph Fasano, who runs something called Poem for You series. And that's where poets get invited on to kind of read requests that people have made for, for, you know, they just want to hear it being read and these can be anybody's poems. So it seems to be that um, there are some community aspects about being a poet and expressing that art within a community. But I've also seen, I mean, we've all kind of heard that uh, writing is a very solitary creative outlet. So do you find yourself drawn to the community aspect at all? Or do you kind of tend to keep to yourself? You know, there is a poetry community on Twitter that I, that I, you know, I, I engage with every so often here and there. I plug my poetry. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I kind of keep to myself, do my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter is one of those things where it, I do find a very, very wonderful writing community there, but there's a lot of stuff that you have to sift through too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The writing community on Twitter is interesting to say the least. Yeah. And for those listeners who are writing poetry, what advice would you have for them about crafting poems? Oh, honestly, this is going to sound so like cliche, but it's it's your poetry you know it's it's 
you're writing it for you, not for anybody else. And nobody has to even read it. Nobody has to like it. It's yours. You don't have to follow a format. You know, it's 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 your art. It's your way of expressing yourself. And um, it just do whatever you feel is right. And don't listen to people who say there are rules of writing poetry. No. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's yours and just do whatever you feel. Yeah, kind of go with your gut, whatever you're yeah. whatever you're feeling, just just let it flow, I think is is probably the best way to do it. And yeah. you have that freedom to express, you know, you're you're not confined to if if you're not confining yourself to those rules, then you I think you have more of a freedom to express yourself and just kind of let the ideas out on the page. Yeah, that's the beauty of poetry too, you know. Right. Um, what is your favorite poem that you've written and where did the inspiration come for it? Ooh, so I've actually thought about this for a while. Um, my favorite poem that I've written is a poem called Four, and it is about my um, struggle with OCD. Okay. And which is, is that in one of the three that you've published? I think it's in linear. Okay. And yeah. With your writing, did you take any formal training for writing poetry or just writing in general? So I've been writing since I was little, so mm -hmm. I had no pri like no prior training at all. But I did take um, creative writing in college, but I had been writing way, way, way before then. Right. So no prior um, writing uh, training up until I took it in college. But that's really about it. Yeah. And did you find that you kind of already had a good grasp on the stuff that they were teaching? Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was sitting in class like, yeah, I know this. I know this. <laughs> just, just, just give me the diploma. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you write in any other format other than poetry? Uh, I used to write short stories a lot, but since I found poetry, uh, poetry is really the only thing that I've seemed to seem to be good at yeah um, so I really don't dabble in anything else okay poetry is my comfort zone yeah it's your jam <laughs> yeah um and then lastly do you ever enter any poetry contests and if so can you let our listeners know where they might do the same um I have entered a few in the past the League of Canadian Poets I think it's called they have uh poetry contests every so often I honestly just did a google search for poetry contests for free free poetry contests because I'm not paying to enter a contest <laughs> right right so I just did a google search and a lot a lot of them came up so yeah if you're interested in entering a poetry contest just google search it mm -hmm. um, and I I always encourage writers to enter contests because it kind of to have something published is obviously really cool. Um, and that's many people's goal is to have something published. Um, and I think it kind of gives you a confidence boost as well when you're able to get something done and feel that it's ready for other people's eyes, right? So if you enter that right. contest, that's a big step to take. And I think that's pretty great. And I always encourage people to do that because it, I think it helps with not only learning, but just learning the process as well. Right. Even though it's not the same thing as publishing a book, it's still 
kind of in that direction. And, and uh, I think that's, that's a good step to take. Never a bad idea anyways. <laughs> right. And it, and it gets your name out there too, right? Yeah. So. Yep, exactly. Which is always a good thing. Awesome. Well, Bailey, thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with me today. It's been great thank to talk so about poetry. Much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm happy to be able to bring interviews like these to you. Whether you're a new writer who's just starting to dip your toes in or a seasoned writer with a few books under your belt, I think we can all learn from each other when you have a platform like podcasting to share information and to share experiences. This is a safe space where you can practice doing interviews or learn from industry experts, etc. I hope there's always something positive that you can take away from each episode, and I'm looking so forward to everything that I have in store for you. Thanks so much for joining me on this journey, and as always, keep being badass.